So a couple of things need to be said. First of all, Greg, that was fantastic. It sounded awesome. That was really good. Carl, you have resorted to throwing up your stick and picking up another one before you even try to catch it. If you're not going to try to catch it, don't throw it. We don't have insurance, okay? No, we do have insurance, just so you guys know. Don't. Don't any agents come, hey, well, you know, I can sell you. I don't, I don't. <clears throat> a couple things. January 2nd, we have a unique opportunity. <clears throat> Actually, um, McCurdy's is putting in new carpet here in the next couple weeks, which we're really excited about. Um, but it takes like four days, and they can only do it over a weekend. So January 2nd, the building will not be available for church. We're not canceling, and we're not moving. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the opportunity January 2nd to everybody to gather from 10 to 1130, for a free catered brunch at Rafferty's next door. And what we're, we're going to fellowship, we're going to talk, and we're going to have people who are going to be leaders of the Grace Life or the Grace groups that are starting in February will be there. They can talk to some of you, probably actually recruit some of you. <coughs> um, and we have a lot of exciting groups that we're working on. We're working on uh, three that we know of for sure. We're working on another one for families with small children that I'm excited about. And so there's a lot of very cool things happening with grace groups. These grace groups are important. They are born out of what we've been preaching in 1 Peter. And so I hope you recognize that. So January 2nd, just because there's no worship inside, don't neglect coming together. Come for some good food, some free brunch. We're going to talk, enjoy, have some Christmas music playing, or not Christmas, New Year's music, or some, some kind of music playing because it's January 2nd. <laughs> We'll be at Rafferty's. It's going to be a blast. So just make sure you're aware of that, okay? I'm excited about these grace groups. I'm actually excited about January 2nd, something a little different, right? So, all right. So uh, this week, this, the message is called Understanding Evil. It's week 20. We only have one message left in our series on 1 Peter, just one. But this is, uh, this is the one before the one. <clears throat> Understanding evil. Imagine, imagine you're in a burning building. Firefighters show up to rescue you. Would you question their orders as they directed you and tried to get you away from danger? Would you say, I don't need you trained firefighters to get out of this mess. All I need is God. He and I can handle anything together. No, of course not, because as the heat and the flames intensify, you become more fully aware of the danger of the flames, and you're going to pretty much do what they say. As a matter of fact, you're going to ask them, what do I do next? <laughs> See, you don't know the specific temperature of the flames. You don't know the damage that's happening to the building, but you do know there's danger, so you would submit to their authority. What about a different type of danger? <clears throat> what about evil? On the one hand, reality is we have no idea all that is going on in the spiritual realm around us. We act like it, but we really don't know. Some of it is ignorant bliss, if we're honest. On the other hand, we do know that there is something bigger going on. There is this war between good and evil. And we need to be more aware of it. Yet most Christians, for some reason, I feel like most Christians that I, 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 I witness seem to walk oblivious to evil. Ignoring or neglecting those that are responsible to protect them and shepherd them from this evil. How acute is your awareness of the forces of darkness in the world around us? 
And how can you determine whether or not you are, in fact, flirting with disaster, living dangerously? I would submit to you the strength of your connection, the depth of your connection to the flock and your submission to the shepherds God has put in your life is the only way to measure how aware you are. Let's look at our passage today. We're borrowing a verse from last week's passage because it fits into this week's. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-8. through 8. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Younger doesn't mean just in age, but in experience and understanding. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, that includes the younger and the elders, with humility toward one another. <clears throat> For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Let's look at the history of this passage, titled this section, Darkness 101. So what Peter is saying is there is a spiritual fight. And he's concluding this beautiful letter, this beautiful epistle, this rich uh, literature that we've been studying for 20 weeks with a critical teaching that the threat of evil isn't just Rome or Nero. It is far deeper than that. This teaching of this greater spiritual war against evil beyond the physical world was actually another core teaching of the apostles. As a matter of fact, Paul said it very clearly in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, read governments and politicians, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look, I could go on for an hour talking about the characteristics of evil and Satan and his demons and all that stuff, and it would be fascinating, and most of you would be listening very intently. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to talk more about how we are supposed to handle evil. So the first century believers knew that the earthly dangers around them were real, and they were on guard against Rome, right? They were being careful. They were being secretive. They didn't want to be killed by Nero. And obviously, to the human eye, Rome was the primary threat, and they're aware of those dangers. Excuse me just a minute. They're aware of those dangers around them. I'm switching tablets here. Give me just a moment. They're aware of those dangers around them, and they're trying to avoid them the best they can. But Nero is just one manifestation of the real threat of evil. The real battle for them isn't political. It's not against culture, and it's not against earthly governments or any other human. The real battle goes far deeper. It's with Satan, who Peter describes as a roaring lion. More on this analogy of the lion later. But this is a critical point Peter is trying to drive home. Evil's everywhere. It is severe. The stakes are eternal, and you need to take this thing, this warning I'm giving you seriously. He doesn't want the first century church to be too obsessive over Nero like the zealots were. He wants them to understand there's a bigger picture. Be sober. Be vigilant. Stay fully 
aware of everything in the spiritual realm that is going on around you because evil is everywhere. It permeates everything. That is why throughout this epistle, Peter gave multiple warnings and instructions about being part of what? The flock. You must stay loyal, he said. You must protect your unity. You must stay committed. You must serve one another. Don't neglect gathering together because the forces of evil are stronger than you are. So with that in mind, I want to talk about the two different types of evil that we saw historically in the church and we still see today. There's macro evil, which means bigger, and then micro evil, which is kind of smaller, okay? Throughout church history, darkness has manifested itself through government and even religious institutions. That's what I'm going to call macro evil. And over the next thousand years, there would be many Nero's, wouldn't there? Proving that government wasn't the real problem. Government was being affected by the real problem. Evil was the real problem. From corrupt popes to narcissistic world rulers, Satan used all of them to advance his most important goal. And what is Satan's number one goal? What is his number one passion? It is to distract you, to scatter and destroy the sheep, to scatter God's chosen people. He used persecution but he's also been a master at distraction, using politics and culture and even false teaching, bad theology. Then there's this ubiquitous manifestation of what I'm calling micro-evil. Ubiquitous means everywhere, for those of you from Bradenton. Everywhere. Oh, it's, you should have done. My wife says, don't be mean to Bradenton. I, I'm sorry. That's terrible. She warns me every week, and I just can't help. I'm sorry, honey. I just... Just so easy. <laughs> it's the type of evil that impacts individual choices. Darkness has always created a culture. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to get it when I get home. Darkness has always created a culture so full of temptation. Even God's chosen people make sinful choices every day. And you know, the more of a threat you are as a royal priest, the more the forces of darkness are going to try to distract you. Evil is so pervasive at every level, the church has always, always faced a constant moment-by-moment -moment deluge of distracting darkness. So that's the history of our passage today. Let's look at the... The theology, what about God? What is he doing? Why and how does he do it? I've called this resisting darkness. Let's talk about that roaring lion. The lion analogy is simply a continuation of what Peter's been talking about, right? Warning about how important it is for the flock to stay together and for the younger to submit to the shepherds, to the elders. He's talking about this going back to chapter 1. The royal priesthood, God's chosen people, stay together, protect your unity, love one another, submit to leadership. Now, lions were very prevalent. That this type of lion was very prevalent in this region. They're now extinct in Israel and most of the surrounding countries. But the lion was the most common predator in the region in the first century, especially when it came to sheep. You see how that works? Every shepherd knew, I got to watch out for the lion because he's going to eat my flock. Shepherds had to be watchful for the lion. 
the predator that posed the greatest threat to the sheep who might wander just a little bit from the flock, maybe 50 yards or less, the lion's there to pounce. Peter says, don't be distracted. Don't get sucked into worries about the world you see. Don't always try to run to a better, greener pasture. That's where the phrase comes from, from shepherding. Focus, don't, don't focus on that. Remember, there's a world you can't see. There are lions in wait. See, that's the, the technique that Satan loves, to see sheep become isolated from the flock so he can distract them. Draw them away from their shepherds. Vulnerable sheep, off by themselves, oblivious to the danger, feasting on strange pastures, becoming fat and lazy, spiritually at risk. That's how lions attack sheep. They sneak up unnoticed. They hunt and they pounce and they tear their prey to pieces. Rest assured, church, the forces of darkness are always there. They're always lurking like a lion who loves to eat wandering sheep. Dark forces are constantly picking off vulnerable members of the flock, drawing away people, drawing away families, even whole church congregations. From temptation to false teaching, to political obsession, to cultural distraction. It is constant everywhere. The problem is we have a lot of superstitious Christians. Sadly, <clears throat> I'm going to say some controversial things today, some things that some of you may have embraced well-meaningly but in the wrong way. Sadly, throughout church history, our understanding of evil and how to resist it has gotten way off track. The church has gotten sucked way too far into evil's arena, trying to fight politically. You can't fight evil politically. You can't fight evil culturally. Those, in the end, are always losing battles. And unfortunately, spiritually, the church has adopted some more flawed ways of resist evil. These are unbiblical, flawed, superstitious, misguided, bizarre strategies to fight evil. Some Christians have resorted to wearing religious trinkets and necklaces under their clothing for spiritual protection. Let's be clear, wearing those things isn't wrong, but believing they have any power to protect you is silly and it's unbiblical. Some have embraced, and listen carefully, let me make my point. Some have embraced misguided teachings like praying to bind Satan through prayer or praying this. I've heard this prayer, and I've even prayed it in the past. Pray this hedge of protection. Look, there's nothing wrong with praying for protection. But here's what it should be. Lord, protect us by keeping us unified. Give us wisdom to be sober and vigilant, but praying for this mystical hedge of protection that some, somehow what, just kind of wears off after a day if you stop praying, like mosquito repellent? <laughs> I mean, if there was this magical hedge of protection that we could deploy, why would a good God ever take it down in the first place? <laughs> you see what I'm saying here? Like, as I look through Scripture, there are references to hedges. He's built a hedge around people like this, and, and people think that they can pray for that. No, that's about... 
his covenant promise. It's not about some mythical thing that we can pray for that shows up for a few hours, and if we get to pray, it wears off. Some of these strategies to combat darkness isn't much better than avoiding walking under ladders or keeping black cats from crossing your path. It frustrates me so much. You know what sometimes I do? I look for ladders to walk under. (laughs) I adjust my path toward black cats. Bring it on, cat. I don't like cats anyway. Okay, they are. Email me at meganmooney at hotmail.com. Just email me there. We'll talk about it. Church, there is safety together. Safety together. Look what Paul says in Hebrews. Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Translation, that's dangerous for you. Think about what this verse is telling you. Many know today's passage, right? The devil walks about like a roaring lion. They know this passage about evil, but you can't really understand what Peter is saying without Peter's context, which is of the flock and shepherds and sheep and God's chosen. Throughout 1 Peter, he uses this analogy of the flock about protecting the flock's unity, being loyal to the flock, staying together at all costs no matter what Rome or Nero does, commanding them to submit to those whom God has called as elders because they are there for your benefit. And the elders, by the way, we are to shepherd the flock that is among us. We talked about that last week. In humility, with service, We are called to sacrifice more than any of you, just like a real shepherd would. Look, the only place of safety from evil in this world is humility under the sovereign hand of God and the structure that he ordained. You know what the real hedge of protection is? Peter says it's staying with the flock, submitting to its shepherds, submitting, embracing prioritizing the flock. That is the only way to submit yourselves under the mighty. You cannot submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God in isolation. See, that's the real hedge of protection that God has established. It's much more practical and accessible than some magical, mythical hedge, isn't it? This is one you can see and touch and feel and be around and talk to. Like, otherwise... Has my hedge worn off? I don't know. Is there a hedge tester? (laughs) This is the hedge, church, where the word of God is taught and read and preached in community, where we learn to live, love, grow, and serve together, where we do proclamation, integrity, and industry together as royal priests. That's the only way to submit yourselves to God. That's the real hedge of protection. That's why forces of darkness love to target shepherds, take them out, draw them away, hoping they can make the flock vulnerable. Let's look at the personal section. I want to talk about safety through submission. This was the sermon preview this week. If you really understood what evil is, you would never wander from Jesus or his flock. Look, I'm not saying this for my benefit. 
but how you interact with those who have the burden of being called to shepherd you reveals a lot about where your soul is. Your loyalty to the flock reveals how sober and vigilant you are when it comes to evil. It reveals how much you actually understand about the forces of darkness. Because if you understood anything about them, you would never want to be alone. We are in most danger of the roaring lion of evil when we are wandering from the flock, seeking our own interests. Being a loner, isolated from the flock, is a sign of arrogance. Failing to submit to the mighty hand of God and the structures of protection that he has ordained. Isolated, unaccountable, with no one there to shepherd your soul, you are a big, fat, juicy sheep, a target of evil that you can't even see coming. See, forces of darkness play 3D chess, while wandering, isolated sheep get arrogant about their game of checkers. But there is something called selfish submission. How much of what we consider submission is actually motivated by our own sense of self-preservation? Submission to the mighty hand of God in the flock can't be like how we submit to most other things in our life. It's not the same. We submit to government, right, and, and law enforcement for fear of what? Legal consequences. So we don't lose our freedoms. We submit to bosses or supervisors so that we can succeed in the workplace and keep our jobs and maybe make more money. Some people even do have a semblance of submission to the church and their shepherds, but mostly because there is an immediate selfish benefit from it. In the moment, it's no longer easy to submit. No, when it's no longer convenient, when it no longer fits our schedule or our priorities, some sheep start to wander. That's selfish submission. See the difference? Don't make our job so hard we have to scream at you from three past years over. <laughs> it's hard enough as it is. Some will look for other pastures where the grass is greener. Some prefer pastures where there are no shepherds or shepherds who don't even know their names so they can graze in anonymity. Sometimes you prefer a pasture that looks like you're in the flock, but there are no really pesky, noisy shepherds to bother you. How often are you in other pastures separated from the flock? Can you name some of your tempting shepherdless pastures that you go to? In your head right now, could you just start thinking, yeah, that's a shepherdless pasture that I wander in all the time. I will tell you, I believe people that are in recovery understand this concept better than anyone. They know that there is safety when they are dug in right in the middle of the flock. And when they start going to the edges, they know that they're in trouble. That's where we see humble submission. Paul says this in Ephesians, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence or worship for Christ. You can't pretend, you can't pretend to be submissive to God without submission to one another. Sorry, it doesn't work. Including the shepherds that God has placed over you. That's when the flock is safe. When its people embrace humility, 
community and corporate worship. What's the best way to know if you trust in God's mighty hand? Well, how much do you value his community and his flock? Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant or more important than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what humble submission looks like. Not only are we submitted, we're helping other people stay submitted. We're watching each other's back all the time. A huge flock of sheep with eyes everywhere looking for lions, looking to the shepherds within us as we try to figure out the best way to navigate. Humility, submission to one another is what humility is. Community and corporate worship, these are the key ingredients for you to resist from evil. This is the hedge of protection. Have you truly humbled yourself before the mighty hand of God as Peter says today? Do you agree that God's wisdom is better than yours when it comes to fighting evil? Are you convinced he cares about you, entrusting all your anxieties to his hand, confident he'll protect you, he'll take care of you? Every Christian, of course, would say, well, yes. But if you live your life in seclusion, neglecting time together with the flock, you don't, and you're not. I mean, can you really be in submission to God's mighty hand when you're constantly wandering away alone, exposed? Not only are you exposing yourself, but you've taken your eyes from the flock, and that's one more person who could be looking out for others. That's why it says in Hebrews, do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, especially as you see the day drawing near. Why are we starting grace groups in 2022? It's a direct application of what we've been learning in 1 Peter. Hope you can see that. We desperately need a way to stay loyal to one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to worship together, to protect one another. How are you, how aware are you of the evil around you? Well, do you make it hard for your shepherds to know where you are? Can you even identify shepherds in your life who teach you, hold you accountable, and look after your souls? Has life been heavy for you? Have you felt isolated? Well, today I'm calling you, I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you, and if you'll allow me, I'm commanding you, run back to the real hedge of protection right smack dab in the middle of the flock. Don't be arrogant. Don't isolate yourself. Stay humble. Stay close to the flock. Walk with Jesus along with the rest of his sheep. Submit to the shepherds among you because Satan and evil are ready to pounce the moment you become isolated. Realize that if we as elders say something stern we might just be trying to keep you out of the jaws of a roaring lion. Raise your hand. Make sure your shepherds know who you are and where you are so that we can watch out, all of us, for each other. Heavenly Father, we don't know all the details of evil around us. <clears throat> We're oblivious to a lot of it. We can't see it. 
We're not able to see it, but we sure know it's there. Lord, help us to be sober and vigilant, remembering that that evil is present. Help us to be so inspired that we want to stay with the hedge of protection that you have created. The royal priesthood that you have called and chosen from darkness into light. The one that you have called shepherds to be a part of, not over but among, as we together try to shepherd one another, protecting ourselves together as a flock from the roaring lion who wants to devour us one by one. Lord, help us not be distracted by other greener pastures. Help us not to be distracted by the things of this world. Lord, renew within us first an understanding of evil and then the willingness to do what it takes to protect ourselves and our family from evil by running each day right to the center of the flock so that together we can submit to one another, look out for each other, love one another, serve together, hold each other accountable as we worship the chief shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. We'll see you Friday. Friday for Christmas Eve, 4.30 right here. I can't wait to see you. Love you.